Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z, the ultimate guide for real estate investors. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. We cover everything you need to know from finding and analyzing properties to financing and managing your investments. Tune in every week for experts' insights and tips so you can make your commercial real estate dreams come true. And in today's episode, we are going to be learning what were the main lessons learned from six decades of investing. This is from a dear, dear friend of mine, Tom Wilson, principal at Wilson Investment Properties. Tom is a wealth of knowledge. He has invested in pretty much every asset class out there from retail to office to multifamily, industrial and everything in between. He is a fantastic and very successful real estate investor. He's going to share all of the lessons, the very hard lessons that he has learned so that we don't have to make these mistakes. Here we go. You know, as far as forecasting goes, uh, I had the pleasure a few months ago of um, putting together an event with, uh, with Stephanie. She, she did all the work, but uh, we have a good friend, uh, Dr. Doug Duncan, who's the chief economist of Fannie Mae. And uh, he has been uh, voted by some organizations as the most accurate forecaster in the past five years. So my, uh, my first tip of the day is go to the Fannie Mae website. And uh, there's uh, on there, he publishes to the public, which a lot of people don't know, uh, his predictions and what's going on in the, in the marketplace. And he has accurately called every single rate change in the last 20 years. So. Um, all right, that's my tip for the day. <laughs> Operations is certainly indeed a, um, a critical element as, uh, as was expressed on the, uh, on the panel. Uh, Kenny McElroy, how many of you know, know of Kenny? You know, Kenny uh, uh, kind of prides himself in having come into the real estate world from the operations standpoint, and he often emphasizes how important that is. So yes, the best underwriting and uh, the best everything is is uh, best market best product is only as good as you can execute it right you really need all the all the legs of the stool to be able to have something come off successful um, Kenny if you've uh, met him or seen him he's a very um, uh, certainly does not wear his success on his cuff but he couldn't help it a few years ago and he splurged and bought himself a uh, beautiful red Ferrari and on the license plate it has C student <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit less detail about real estate, talk a little bit more about, you know, things that I've learned over my um, years of investing, tell you briefly my story, um, but talking about uh, crossroads and, and major events and what are some nuggets that I've learned along the way that I want to share with you. Um, can, everybody here can probably think of some... Um, some event in their life, some person in their, in their life that at the time you didn't realize how important it was, but later on you, you realize, my goodness, if it weren't for this event or this person, my life would have been quite different. Can we all think about things like that? It starts with uh, your parents, right? Choose your parents carefully. <laughs> well, unless Elon comes up with some way for us to time warp back, uh, it probably won't quite happen like that, but what we can choose is what do we learn from them, right? What did they model for us? And which things do we want to continue with and which things do we want to, to change? 
You know, it might be a, uh, they're very witty or they uh, inspire us to be uh, uh, curious or maybe there is an addiction problem and all those things we can continue with those models that we see, those characteristic behavior, or we can choose to change it, which isn't always easy to do, but be conscious about that. And it's not just your parents, it's anybody else that you, that you associate with or have. Uh, so uh, one, one of my first um, great decisions was the partner that I picked that turned out to be my partner for 52 years until I lost her six years ago to cancer. And um, it turned out to be a, um, a, a good decision. The, uh, the day, the night that I went up to her and asked, asked her to, I got up the nerve to ask her to dance, and she said yes, that was the beginning of a, of a great relationship that certainly, um, she, I was very introverted at the time, and uh, she was a bubbly extrovert, and she taught this engineer to, uh, to enjoy people more, and in later years she said she wasn't sure that had been such a good idea. <laughs> I was a uh, ham radio operator. Everybody know what a ham is, an amateur radio operator? At age 12, boy, that was, a, that was a good thing that happened to me. So as I was in school finishing my double E career and wanting to um, kind of uh, explore a bigger world, I went to, on the air and talked to a lot of people out in Northern California that said there was an emerging electronics industry and you might be interested in exploring this. And I was also a big fan of the Beach Boys. So one night at dinner, I asked my bride, honey, what do you think about going to California? Now, this is uh, back at uh, Delaware, University of Delaware. She took one more bite of her dinner, and she looked up and said, okay. <laughs> so coming out to California was a, was a, uh, turned out to be another great idea. And we, Fairchild, which um, I started with, which was the start of the semiconductor industry, as we were talking about last night, uh, we have some other, some other techies here that started off early on in that, in that business. So um, the landlord, I went to get my keys from a rental house, turned out the landlord was in San Jose. Landlord lived next door, and um, turns out he owned 10 houses on the street. He was 38 years old, no college education. He was financially independent. So this is 1969. So what do you call a moment like that? Yeah, nah, that's an aha moment. But you know what? I was told by a number of people that it was a bad idea to buy a house because prices had gone up so much in the 50s and 60s they couldn't imagine to go up anymore. I was also told that the, uh, what was become Silicon Valley had had its run. It was all over. All the jobs are going to Japan, and uh, I'd missed it. I didn't believe either one. I've always been a contrarian, I think. Uh, I like to think a calculating risk taker. So, right, that's one thing that separates us, I think, who've invested in real estate, is that uh, a lot of people, yeah, they just can't do, get comfortable enough to try anything different from what they perceive as a safe, like a mutual fund. But, um, you know, I, I think you, uh, you have to be willing to take some risk, but as we're as we all know who've been in the business for a while, uh, you, you don't just uh, put, your, put your chips down on the table, you go do some serious calculating. So, uh, so I bought this, this house anyway as the first rental, and um, my wife's hand was shaking as we signed the contract, 
and knowing that we'd only eat hot dogs and baked beans the rest of our lives. And, uh, but I convinced her to go ahead and do it anyway. We paid $30,200 for that in Silicon Valley in 1970. It rented for $300. That ring a bell? Is that about 1% per month for the value of the house? Yep, you could actually do that in California back then. After 30 years in high tech and two startups that failed, um, you know most startups fail, right? <laughs> not, not according to the headlines, but yeah, they do. So um, as any venture capitalist will tell you. So after 30 years, it, um, I realized one day that I was earning more money from the rentals I bought in the 70s while I was sleeping than my day job and stock options were. And, but I also realized that my house that I bought for 30000 that was now worth about 500000 was only uh, making about a third the revenue that it was when I bought it. So I studied the country and, uh, and looked at that. Was, um, so this is before um, Internet was quite as prolific as it is today. But I studied the country, and Dallas came out on top, and... Dallas-Fort Worth came on top of that. What did they have? They had still 1% ratio. They had a broad-based economy. Uh, there's a high population growth, uh, high economic growth, companies going there, business-friendly. Um, it, uh, it worked out very well for me. So I started selling properties in, uh, Santa, in um, California and exchanged them into properties down there. I bought uh, 13 duplexes for one house in San Jose. I bought a 68-unit apartment house for uh, one house in San Jose uh, with no extra money into it and uh, learned the power of leveraging and the power of 1031 exchange. And that, was, uh, that turned out to be a good path. So I took the, the typical progression of going from houses to one to fours to multifam to then uh, non um, residential, uh, commercial. You know, commercial's root word is commerce, which means something that you take revenue from. So many people, when they say commercial, they think of industrial and, you know, retail, but it also includes multifamily. So I went along that progression. So what was I looking for? You, uh, you to be able to scale, uh, it's tough to do it with houses, right? The hedge funds learned that, um, even though Houses became a new asset class for them. They, um, they also realized, as Warren Buffett famously said, I'd buy a bunch of them if I understood how to operate them, right, how to manage them. A lot of these hedge funds, you know, were buying houses in large bulk, and before they could get management on board, they were being copper mined and everything else. So, uh, and they were, and the values of the, um, of the returns on houses came down because Wall Street needed less yields and you had a bunch of folks that had a schedule for how fast they wanted to deploy money and so therefore it became a lower return product and uh, but I that's when I spent more time focusing on uh, uh, commercial properties. A lot of principles I think that can guide us well in life are much um, are not that complex. It's awfully easy to look for uh, really complicated things to guide us in which way we go. But I love, uh, I love simple principles. Uh, here's a couple examples. 
You know, the Rothschild family at one time was uh, considered the wealthiest family in the world. And in the 70s, one of the uh, grandsons was uh, interviewed and asked to what did he attribute to his family's great wealth. And he said, by selling too soon. So the lesson is don't be too greedy, right? When you, uh, something's climbing up, it's always tempting to wait a little longer. But if you've got, um, you know, if you've got a good profit, successful, uh, you know, velocity of money is important. Keep, keep moving money along for, you, for yourself, for your investors, get their money back, take the profit, move on. Yes, you'll, you'll lose a little bit, but you know when, it's, when it cliffs off, it's catching a falling knife. It's too late at that point. Um, Conrad Hilton, who was the very first one to build an international hotel empire, um, he was asked to what, um, what was the most important thing he learned in building that empire. What do you think it was? That's it. Keep the shower curtain inside the shower. <laughs> Plan your exit. You know, when, uh, and that can apply to your business as well as uh, each property. So um, I'm sure you realize now that when you buy something, you ought to have a plan on when you tend to get out. When, um, and you can have a plan B, but that's very important. But also, if you have a business, how are you going to have a successor? How are you going to sell it? How are you going to exit at some point in time? Be very careful um, what people say who have uh, a high level of influence. Here's uh, Ben Bernanke in 2005, says we've never had a decline of housing prices on a nationwide basis. What I think more likely is that house prices will slow, maybe stabilize. I don't think it's going to drive the economy too far from its full employment, though. So, of course, um, got to think about who, what the motivations are of the person that's, uh, that's saying it, whether it's, the, um, whether it's the chief economist of um, National Association of Realtors that wants everybody to think that the real estate market's always great or whatever. Um, we're always wanting high cap rates, low risk, and high appreciation, but it's very hard to find all three. So if you have to decide what it is that's most important to you, California has been able to generate great appreciations in recent years, but um, not so good on cap rates. And, uh, you know, Texas, Florida, other places have other things that are, that are strong. So, um, so you need to, need to realize it's very hard to get everything you want. You've got to choose which, which they are, One of the, uh, which is important. One of, my, um, one of the most important things I think I've learned is how, how different submarkets are and how different products are. It's just, uh, it's incredible how different they are. You look at the curves of, um, of these uh, markets and products, and yes, the, the general information will say, um, will give you a general concept, but boy, you can always find products, you can always find uh, portions of the market where uh, it can be quite contrarian to what the general information is. Here's a, um, so the markets, you know, have cycles, and I think what this demonstrates in this slide is that in the different cycles of the market, there are different cities and different products are quite a different timing on where they are in those in those circles. This happens to be a chart for uh, current uh, office market, what different cities, I know you can't see that in the back, 
but it just shows the distribution of uh, cities and submarkets, um, MSAs, all around the country. And you can see there's, there are cities in each of the four major sectors of the, uh, of the market cycle. So, uh, and you look at retail, you look at industrial, you look at multifamily, same thing, they're all different. So um, it's very, very important to look at each product and, and, uh, and sub-market uh, separately. Let's see, what's this one? Oh yes, um, you know, a, a good, a good um, example of how things can vary. Here in California, which uh, many of us are, uh, are from, we, we know that in the pandemic, uh, there was a huge uh, vacancy that occurred and still is in the uh, office uh, sector, uh, especially where there are professionals and it's a work from home uh, environment. And so there's some people and unfortunately some, a lot of lenders that say, boy, if it's got the word office on it, don't even talk to me, I'm not interested. One of my two office buildings I have is in uh, Savannah, Georgia. It stayed in the 90s all during the pandemic, and it's at 100% occupancy right now. So how can that be? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's the type of tenant. So the tenant is more important than what the asset class is. So if the tenant is in education, community services, uh, um, health services, so forth, where they have to be on site and the client, that's totally different than, um, than uh, work from home professionals, right? So you, you've got to really look at the, um, Look at the specifics. Um, when um, Amazon started ex its explosive growth, a lot of people thought all retail is going to be scraped from the face of the earth, right? Well, so far, I don't think we can get our hair done or get a glass of wine on the internet. So, you know, strip malls and service industries, but even big box, a lot of those have uh, set up complimentary websites. You go to pick up the thing you ordered online at the store, you buy something else. So um, don't, don't ever broad brush everything just based upon the uh, general headlines. Underwriting, we've talked a little bit about that today. It's, um, it's uh, in incredible how important that is. You know, it's with the assumptions, you can make the results be anything you want, right? Just look at your exit cap rate. Um, and so to do a good job, it's really thousands of cells uh, I always, um, when I used to do it myself, I'd always take the IRR and cash on cash and copy that cell on each of the sheets where I was making the assumptions so I can watch that and see if it makes sense which way it goes and by how much, how, what the sensitivity is. And I always have someone else go do it also and make sure the results come out the same because, um, you know, the, the uh, decision of whether or not to invest in something like that is very, very important. Look at just the parameter of... Um, the, the rent roll, I mean, it's just it's sold in Houston recently a, uh, for 50 million, a six location portfolio of industrial with uh, 103 tenants. So when you're doing the due diligence uh, on this, you're doing the underwriting, what do you gotta do? You've gotta look at the rent roll, you've gotta look at each tenant, uh, take, a, um, take a, a guess at whether or not they're gonna renew. If they don't, how long is it gonna be empty? And when you release it up again, what, what price is he going to rent it? And you got to do that for all 103 of them. That's just that part of it. So underwriting is very, very critical. Uh, execution is, is critical, but um, so I, 
I spend a little more than 45 seconds because on, on that part because I'm not as bright as the turkey. <laughs> yeah, don't fall in love with a deal and uh, try to make it happen. Saying no can be more valuable than saying yes. Uh, we've talked a bit about uh, due diligence, and I agree. Uh, someone said that they, um, uh, that they like to go to the property themselves. Well, most every property I've bought, I've gone to myself. I don't do the level of detail I used to. When you scale, you've got to delegate, but it's all to, to others. But I, too, uh, go to the, if I'm buying a property, I go look at the um, other stores around the area, retail, grocery, whatever. Who is it that actually come in there? You ever get these, you know, these market studies from the listing agent, and they show you the one mile and three mile and five mile, what the demographics are? That's not necessarily who's in your property. <laughs> so, as you can tell by going at nighttime, parking the car, and seeing what who comes in and out. When you make a mistake, uh, don't. It's it's tough to grieve and hurt and lick your wounds for a while, but don't, you know, don't run from it forever. Go go back with your team and analyze what is it that went wrong or what is it we could do better next time. That's uh, you know, ironically, sometimes the things that don't work, we learn more from the things that do. So that's pretty, uh, pretty important. And change your model um, periodically. Uh, switch from market to market to asset class to another, whatever, whatever goes with the, um, with the times or the market. I think one of the things I've done that's been contributed to my success, successes is to go change the model. Uh, one of the things I haven't done so well is probably change as fast as I could have. It's hard to leave something that was working. And indeed, um, you know, uh, what's the most valuable uh, asset that, uh, that you have? I think it's the, uh, the 2,000 names I have in my phone. You know, I think that's more important than anything else because with those relationships, you can, um, start, you can start over if you have to or rebuild. So um, yes, relationships are certainly critical and I agree that uh, character is more important than competence. It's nice to have both, but that's, uh, that's number one. And I concur. Uh, share your information, uh, share your, uh, whatever you can give to others, um, help, help others, and you'll both win. When I was in tech, I uh, had a marketing position for a few years, and this was before internet provided uh, all this um, a tremendous amount of, uh, of data. And I would write marketing reports about our competition, and my peers said, well, Tom, how in the world did you find out these things from your competition? I said, um, oh, thank you, it's uh, my little secret. And my secret was I'd ask them, <laughs> I'd, ask my, I'd ask my competitors, and I would share information about what I thought they would get some value from me. So. Uh, if you're Google or Apple, you don't want to lose market share. But if you're, you know, uh, you know relatively small in the marketplace in your business, you, you both win. I always, um, I always believe that's important because um, abundance is, uh, I, I think, coming from a world of abundance as opposed to scarcity is uh, very beneficial for, for all of us. And above all, enjoy the journey. It's so easy to get caught up every day in the operations and making, um, trying to make more successes, but uh, along the way, uh, give back, 
Um, smell the roses. If you ask my daughter what's the most valuable thing that she ever learned from her dad, and uh, she would say, uh, smell the roses every day and enjoy the journey. So I encourage you to do the same. Thank you. So you, start, you bought your first house in 1970 for the rental. You were really nervous. Um, you know, today we see prices high, rates are high. And this is a single family uh, question, but where, where do you think the single family market's going with kind of where the data's at, rates are? I don't know if you can answer that question. I know it's still a crystal ball, but just from your experience in all those, all those years. Well, again, the market is thousands of submarkets. Um, they're going to vary quite a bit. I think, uh, and I'm, what I'm going to share right now is what um, uh, you know, I, I hear and from my conversations with uh, Dr. Doug Duncan from Fannie Mae. Um, he feels that we're not overall, from a U.S. standpoint, going to drop very much. Um, some markets will, some will stay stable. Um, Right now, of course, the, uh, the prices are being held up because there's no supply. Uh, people aren't going to let go of their, going to move and let go of their locked-in interest rates. So I think the tough part is uh, the same as it has been for, you know, 30 years. Me personally, I, I haven't thought it's been made sense in high-end markets like in California to, um, uh, to buy a house for cash flow for, 30 years, certainly 20 years. Uh, just look at the rent ratio, look at the uh, revenue relative to your number one expense, the debt service based on 80% 80, 80 leverage. So I, it looks to me like we're, um, we're, we're gonna stay st pretty stable. Some markets come down a little bit, some up a bit. But again, if you're looking for cash flow, not, uh, you know, not long-term appreciation, uh, I think you just, you just look at that that rent ratio. Yes. I'm uh, I'm 23 and I'm you know just kind of getting into this space. I was wondering what. She went about my first house. Oh! <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm 22, feel behind I now. <laughs> um, well, what would you recommend? I guess as a 23-year-old, but also in this time, uh, would you say that I should focus on just pursuing multifamily, or should I uh, start with? kind of what you went first, a single-family route, multiple single-family into multifamily, or diversify. What do you recommend? I'd say if you, um, if you want to start off scaling a little higher than just houses, which, uh, you know, some people, back when I started that, it was uh, other than my landlord neighbor who had those houses, that was, that was a very um, contrarian uh, business model. Um, hardly anybody, maybe they kept the first house that they were in and that was their rental, but uh, that was very unpopular. Uh, as time went on, you know, we got to know about that. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying houses. I think you just need to go study all the markets and see uh, which ones get the best returns, which ones have a history and projection of having the highest um, um, population growth, uh, economic and business growth, uh, which ones are business friendly. I'd say um, most of the products in the 24 markets that I've been in, whether it be houses or other or commercial properties, have been in the uh, heartland of America, the South. Uh, I tend to not like um, 
the Rust Belt up north because uh, it's largely had a declining economy, declining population. Uh, you know, sometimes back to simple principles, you can just ask yourself, uh, okay, someone gets a job offer at GE in Utica, New York, and they get one in, uh, in uh, Austin, Texas, which one are they probably gonna take? So, you know, <laughs> so um, just look at where things are migrating, places are migrating. So the trick is, of course, if it has a large ember migration, it tends to drive prices up too. But I think uh, the heartland of uh, America is still fine for uh, single family homes. And I think, um, you know, if you scale or when you scale higher than that, I would say get a partner, you know, get, get experts on your team. I think that's really, really critical. I'm a, I'm a big delegator. I kind of micromanage a bit in the beginning, but once they're on board and I think we're on the same page, then I, unlike most techies and engineers, I tend to let go and step back. But get a partner, no matter if it's a partner that has more experience, if it's a partner that brings in the capital, um, get, uh, get experts on your team. And if you haven't already, make sure to leave us a review on the podcast app. If you are learning something from our podcast, we would really appreciate it. As you all know, it takes a lot of time to get these incredible guests and we would really appreciate a review. So we keep popping up as one of the most recommended podcasts out there. And I will see you next time.